Support for this show comes from Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence and Loom help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. From the newsroom at Eater, I'm Amanda Clute. And I'm Daniel Janine. And this is Eater's Digest, a show about all things food and dining. With a little help from the biggest names in the world of food and the journalists here at Eater, we try to understand what's happening right now in kitchens, restaurants, and dining rooms around the world. Today on the show... Food at the movies. From popcorn to craft cocktails, today we are talking about the crazy world of in-seat dining, all the innovation that is going on in the kitchens at movie theaters. We're also going to get into the biggest stories of the week. One last thing before we get started. We have a little survey that we would love for you to fill out. Sir, yay. Sir, yay. (laughs) Thanks, Daniel. It takes just five minutes or maybe even less if you're fast. And it really helps us out on the show. Go to voxmedia.com slash pod survey or find the link in the show notes. Now, food at the movies. So, Daniel, today on the show, we are talking about food at the movies. You are a giant movie buff. It's one of the main things that I think our listeners already know about you. I wouldn't say I'm a movie buff. I would say I go to the movie movie theater a lot. You go to the movies a lot. But I'm not... You're a frequent moviegoer. I'm a frequent moviegoer. Yeah. Absolutely. I like to see popcorn movies a lot. I like to see action movies. Yeah. Cool. I do see most of the quote-unquote, you know, eat your vegetables, emotional movies, but... Mm -hmm. I do not get as excited about going to see those as I do the Jason Statham. Sure, the Fast you're and only Furious. human. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, but yeah, no, I spend a lot of time actually alone in movie theaters eating snacks that I typically sneak in. You sneak in snacks. What what foods do you sneak in? Uh, usually, well, I the, the the theater that I go to is right next to a Whole Foods, so typically like a healthy chocolate thing or mm. um, a box. What's of a healthy chocolate thing? Some thing that I've rationalized as being good for me, like a. 80% dark chocolate coconut item of some uh, kind. Okay, okay. Something new. Uh-huh. Not something that I would have had uh-huh. before. And like cornichon, I love to sneak in olives and pickles and stuff like that. <laughs> For real. Yeah. <laughs> You're just sitting there alone at the movies eating a jar of pickles. <laughs> a jar of mini pickles. Yeah, absolutely. So bizarre. Yeah, and smoked fish. I love bringing in oh, tins of things. Stinky. Yeah, I like to have five or six different small things. So Five or six different pungent people items. People say that the entertainment is on the screen. I think it's in my bag. (laughs) Wow. Uh, Anyway, but the reason that I sneak food in is not because I'm reluctant to pay the movie theater. I like to support the movies. It's because up to now, if you don't want popcorn and you don't want one of those big box candies or nachos, what are you going to do? Well, now they have these movie theaters with the restaurants. So the world the is waiters. changing for me. A great portion of my life has, is is changing, and I thought we would talk about it on the show today. Yeah. Can I just I just add in a note? You can I, add in a note. I love these movie theaters where they have restaurants. Love it. Love the ordering at your 
your seat. You mean the, the movie love. theaters that we're going to spend a decent portion yes. of today's segment talking yeah. about? I just want to say that up front. <laughs> okay. Love eating popcorn out of those metal bowls. Yeah. Love having a cocktail in a real glass. So on board. So we're going to look at how we got there. And How did we get here? Well, we're not going to talk about today without going in, into the past a little bit. got to go back to the To do that, past. we are going to talk to Professor Jonathan Kuntz of UCLA School of Theater, Film, and Television. Do you want to just give us the history of food at the movie theaters? In the early days of movie houses, there was not a lot of food sales. People who wanted to eat from the Nickelodeon days of the uh, early 20th century into the classic silent era of the 1920s, generally, if they wanted to eat something, they would go next door to the theater to a drugstore and pick up candy bars or something to eat. There were, in the downtown areas of most towns where entertainment districts were, there would be people uh, with push carts in the street selling food. But then the Great Depression comes along, and the first things to go into bankruptcy are going to be the theaters and the mm. theater chains in the early 1930s. They saw it drop off at the box office. And by 1931 and 1932, you start to see movie companies slipping into bankruptcy, and that includes you know, producers, distributors, and exhibitors. And when the box office started to drop off, they found themselves in terrible trouble. And so exhibitors came up with all kinds of strategies in the early 19. 1930s to try and bring people back into the theaters. Oh, I mm-hmm. see. So do you think food was one of those items to lure people back to, to watch movies again? Yes. Well, it's not just to lure people to to watch movies again. It's to increase the profits mm-hmm. of the theater. Mm, right. They tried a lot of strategies like um, half-price nights and two-for-one movies, the double bill. That ended up being pretty successful. But the food sales proved to be the, the way they could really, you know, boost the money they were bringing in. So in the early 1930s, we see them starting to bring food sales into the movie houses. What the uh, exhibitors discovered right away with food sales were there were certain things that were really, really successful. One thing was soda pop. They had been reluctant to vend drinks in glasses, but by the 1930s, they were able to mass-produce paper cups at a very cheap rate, and so they could vend sodas such as Coca-Cola. If they dropped a paper cup on the auditorium floor, it was a mess, but it wasn't broken glass. And there's a tremendous markup in soda also. And then there's popcorn, of course. Popcorn, I guess, was kind of a, a food that was around from the 19th century. There were already popcorn poppers being produced in the late 19th century. But, of course, it's the motion pictures and the movie theater that bring popcorn to kind of world fame. Popcorn becomes the magical movie food in the 1930s. Popcorn is, in so many ways, the perfect movie food. And the popcorn could be put into a paper bag. They could probably pay just a few pennies for the bag and the, the ingredients, and they could sell that for a dime <laughs> and make a, a huge markup. A researcher, I believe it was Douglas Gomery, a film history researcher, did some research into Department of Agriculture statistics on acreage of corn planted for popcorn. And in the 1930s, it skyrockets in the United States because that's when popcorn really becomes the, the favorite movie food and it spreads all over the U.S. and eventually to large parts of the world. What do you think when you go to a theater these days and you see all of the food options? Okay, well, first off, 
we have to point out that the food sales in the theater, they're dealing with a captive audience, much as at the ballpark. So you can have a tremendous markup. And I'm sure everybody has noticed that for that soda or for that, that tub of popcorn at the movie house, you pay a huge amount more than you would pay if you made it yourself at home or bought it outside right. the movie theater. So the profit margins there are fabulous. It's said that since the 1930s, many movie houses make their profits off their candy counter. They're happy to break even on their ticket sales if they can get access to those patrons and sell them the marked-up food products. Mm -hmm. You may think of a movie theater as a place where you go to see movies, but to the theaters themselves, in many ways, they have you might say become kind of diversified food sales sites, that the food sales are their primary you know, goal here because that's where they make their money. Awesome. Thank you so much. Okay. Bye-bye. So I think the biggest change in movie theater dining that we've all experienced in the last few years is the growing kitchen. Oh, yeah. The dine-in. The dine-in theater. We're not just talking snacks. With a real server. Yes. With cutlery. Uh-huh. And the first place in New York that I really saw it start to happen is at Nighthawk Theater. So we went to Nighthawk to talk to their director of operations, Jessica Giesenkirchen, about how they get food from a professional kitchen into a movie theater. Sort of every time we develop a menu, we're talking about a lot of different factors. One of the guardrails would be the show times. Like everybody pretty much sits down at the same time or within 15, 20 minutes of the movie starting. So is it going to come out hot? Is it going to stay hot before it reaches the gas? Are they going to be able to eat it in the dark? Is it something they can identify well enough in a dark theater that they know what they're eating so they're not like jabbing into something that they might not have ordered. So it's getting a little busy in here, so we can have a seat at the bar. Cool. Could you give me a uh, run us down a little bit of the history of, of where we are? So we opened in 2011. The owner was looking for a manager, and I had restaurant experience. And he had a vision of what this place would be and that we would show good movies and a mix of first run and also like retro programming, but also the introduction of food and beverage, which in New York was not a thing. What happened is he came to New York and he discovered that it was against the law to serve alcohol in a motion picture theater. So he lobbied against that rule, got it overturned, and we were the first people to have a liquor license to serve alcohol in a motion picture theater in New York State, which was a big deal. Do people expect your food to be good? I hope so. What we try to do when we develop a menu is to really impress people. We don't have a microwave. There's no like nachos that are been, you know, sitting anywhere. Nothing's like reheated. So what we're trying to do is like to elevate that whole food experience because I want people to be like, oh, that was better than I ever thought it could be. What are the main things you think about when developing an item for the menu here? Is it sound? Is it ease of eating? It's a lot of those things. I mean, our menu development's pretty extensive. The kitchen and the bar will develop some ideas and we'll do tastings. And in those tastings, we're talking about hot food. How's it going to be eaten in the theater and not take away from the movie experience? Right. Soup's not a good idea because of the clanking that the spoon makes. Sound like an old age home of it? Yep, yep. <laughs> and the slurping, yeah. it just doesn't work. <laughs> it does not work. Do you notice food sales change depend on the tone yes. depending on the tone of the movie? Yes. Yeah. 
Subtitles, no food, very little drinking. You gotta pay attention. You gotta watch the screen so people aren't like gonna reorder food. They're just, a li- you gotta concentrate a little bit more. Interesting. Hustlers right now, fun movie. Nothing but fun. Okay. Drink, eat, have fun. The bigger the group is, they're gonna share more food. They're gonna start drinking more. They're in for fun. So have there been any movies that have like notorious clunkers for food sales? Anything that's very violent or what was it? 12 years of slip. I had a feeling that 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 movie might not have been. Emotionally or historically is, again, it's like the subtitles. Like people are paying attention more and not indulging. Are there movies where people are just like weeping with joy and shoveling their face with tater tots? (laughs) I mean, that's our ideal customer. (laughs) Yes. Am I a savage? I thought you were going to say, like, like <laughs> sobbing their eyes out, which is another thing. Yeah. That, but that's just movie theater, like when to pull the lights up because everybody's crying. Oh, do you sometimes let it let the lights stay down for a little bit? Well, we'll consider it yeah. or think about it or be aware of it because the servers are in the theater and they're, they, their mission is to go in, clear the theater, and get ready for the next round. But if they have people that are sitting and still sort of digesting what they've seen... And and eaten, yeah. then sometimes you have to give them a minute. What are your best sellers? Is popcorn still the number one thing that people are buying here? Yes. By like thousands. Really? Yeah. Like those people that might not order food, they might get a soda or a popcorn. And they expect you guys to do something interesting with it. Yeah. So this is our Nighthawk popcorn. Citric salt, truffle butter. It's good popcorn. Mmm. <laughs> truffle butter. Daniel, so you can't get soup. You can't get soup at Nighthawk. No. You also can't get soup at legacy theaters like AMC, which are also investing in a lot of dine-in options. If you know of a movie theater that sells soup, please email at us at digestedeater.com because yeah, we, we really want, want to talk to them. them. <laughs> we want to talk to them. <laughs> Obviously, I, I think you don't want to serve soup. Um, I think that's probably going to end up being on my headstone when I die. <laughs> that's Jennifer Douglas, the food and beverage director at AMC. I will tell you, I've been with AMC uh, for 32 years. Uh, I started when I was 16, so you can do that math. Uh, and, you know, when I started out scooping popcorn, and I now consider myself to be the head popcorn <laughs> scooper. But, uh, you know, when I started out when I was 16, you know, I just think about, the, you know, we, we basically serve popcorn and candy and drinks. And those are all fine things to be serving uh, in, in the theaters. But, you know, I think about as nachos got introduced, which, believe it or not, that back in, like, 1987, that was a really big deal. And we got ices in there. And, and then I kind of fast forward, you know, 32 years and it's like wow we've come such a far way uh, in terms of what we're able to offer not just in our dining theaters and we have a good presence there with 49 of those but it's just it's a very exciting time Mm -hmm. can you talk a little bit about those technology changes and how that's allowed you to alter what you're able to bring into theaters things like the different types of ovens that we can put in theaters mm-hmm. and you know, safely operate. We invested in a technology or a piece of equipment called an auto fry. So, I mean, it's completely enclosed. It has its own ANSEL system inside of it, but it allows you in a traditional theater to have that really high quality fried food. 
So what can someone expect going into an average AMC in terms of food options these days? There's uh, flatbreads. We have also uh, expanded selections of pretzel bites. Uh, we have a lot of, we have two different types of sliders, chicken and also beef sliders. We have those fabulous mini tacos and the mini mac and cheese bites. Uh, and then my favorite thing that just launched again about two or three weeks ago is we actually have added mac and cheese bowls to our traditional theaters uh, right. in that feed fair program. And let me tell you, those are quite tasty. <laughs> <laughs> when, when you think about who you're competing with in terms of adding food options, do you think these days you're competing with other movie brands or is it the home theater and, and people who might just watch some Netflix and eat some popcorn on their couch? I think people that like to stay home and have a Netflix night and, and have dinner at home are also the same people that enjoy a movie night out and, you know, want the flexibility to have either enhanced food there in the theater or, you know, to have a true dining experience where you're really getting food that's being made from scratch. Again, I think in you know the last few years, you've really seen those types of places really step up their game in terms of what type of food is being prepared in that environment. And I think that's good for us because, you right. know, I, I don't know that people automatically associate great food uh, at a, you know, at, at a reasonable price yeah. in a movie theater environment. So I think the more that we build culinary credibility and kind of those out of home entertainment spaces, you know, that, that kind of rising tide makes it better for all the ships that are, you know, floating in that space. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Oh, thank you. So Daniel, what'd you learn? About that food at the movies. When I don't like someone, I'm going to call them theater soup. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> yeah, it's a very in insidery joke. <laughs> what did I learn? Well, to be honest, I went into this segment with a very, very, very clear personal stance on mm -hmm. food at the movies. Which is you sneak in food. No. Stinky food. No. I don't. I only sneak it in because, listen, if, if Whole Foods open a movie theater or if, like, I don't know, some Spanish tapas restaurant or something opened a movie theater, I would get my food there. Oh, so you sneak food in because you don't think the food is good enough? I sneak food in because, yeah, I just don't want popcorn. I also swore off. Have you tried, like, the Listen, Alamo? I swore off popcorn for a reason. Dental reasons. Dental reason. About three years ago, I caught a shard in my gum, and it made three weeks of my life totally miserable until I got back to Toronto. Shout out Toronto. Great dentistry there. And they uh -huh. got it out, fished it out. And uh, I just swore. I was like, I'm not going to do this anymore. You know, because I don't want to keep taking this risk every time I go into a movie theater. Mm, I love popcorn. Love movie popcorn. So do I. And I've been bending. I've been <laughs> <laughs> okay. I've so been falling apart. Anyway, let's, let's get back to the point here, which so, is yeah. you sneak food in because you don't like the dining options. But now there are tons of dining options, and it's great. My other thesis going into this was I don't like the movie experience to be compromised by anything. Right. I don't want mm. reclining chairs. I don't want servers running around. I don't want any of this because, like, for me, if I'm at the movie, I'm at the movie. So I, then if you had the means, would you just build a theater at your house and just be by yourself? Absolutely not because part of the experience for me is being there with other people and having only that But isn't that, that a thing. distraction too? What if someone yells at the screen That's or why laughs? I go on my own because then I can move around. Then I can move or I can change the experience around me to perfect it really for myself. And if I'm not be happy. so intense in your head. <laughs> yeah, it's well, it's fun. Counterpoint sometimes. to you. I love these 
movie theaters yeah. with the restaurants. I don't I don't get distracted when you're like writing your little thing that you want. They they're very innocuous these people. They duck down. Listen, they're professionals. It's dark still. It's fine. But I will say now that the food options are getting better, I appreciate that this is a whole entertainment experience. Entertainment. Yeah, and I'm getting into also, it. And also for people I'm, who I'm eat super healthy, in the minority on this. Yes, you are. But people eat healthy they haven't had options before. Yeah. But now you go to these restaurant places, they have salads and smoothies and whatever. Right. You know what the worst, <laughs> let me tell you the worst. Let me tell you the worst thing that happens in a movie theater mm-hmm. is when I bring a box of food in and I forget a fork and I have to eat with my fingers and that's happened <laughs> it's many. It's like Amy Klobuchar with the yeah. the comb salad. Because you know what, when you're eating with your fingers, it sucks at first, but then eventually it just becomes. Well, see, that's why it's good you're alone so often. No one sees this. <laughs> The idea of the growing technology and the growing interest in food and how that is affecting theaters is fascinating to me because as it gets easier and as people are more excited about food, I find that food is infiltrating more aspects of our life. Yeah. The food at stadiums is getting mm-hmm. much better. Yeah, yeah. captive audience dining captive has improved audience dining. incredibly over the last five years. Also with movies, they really need to compete with the home theater. Yeah. So they have to make it a better experience because you could just be home in your pajamas. Mm-hmm. Like You don't need this, especially as Netflix is making great movies and releasing it on the same day. Just from the parents' point of view, if you're paying for a babysitter, you might not have the money or the time to go to dinner and a movie. Yeah, squash them all together. Yeah. And now, Amanda, we will be right back with the biggest food stories of the week. On June 14th, your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley! It's anger! Let me at him! Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going! Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14th. Get tickets now. Amanda, it is that time in the show where we run down our favorite, the biggest food stories of the week. Oh, yeah. We separate them with the sound of a ding like this. Uh, That is all I have to say. I hope you're enjoying the show so far. There's much more to come. Let's go. Interesting story in the New York Post this week about a restaurant that I enjoy in Soho called Charlie Bird. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you're aware of it. First up, it's an upscale restaurant. You know, pretty, not high, high end, but high end enough. You're going to drop some money there, and they call it a greasy spoon, which that's Mm -hmm. just one quibble with the story. But anyway, so the story is... I don't think... I don't want to pass that over that quick. It's, you want to talk about it? Not, I don't need spoon? to talk about it, but it's a very funny mess up that just didn't need to be in there at all. <laughs> no. It's like a really why, trendy why New York even, restaurant. Why even put a qualifier? Just say restaurant. <laughs> yeah. I think you just... The effort it takes to make that mess up is more than it would just <laughs> not to say anything. Like, were they looking at the wrong... Were they thinking of the wrong restaurant? It's possible. Yeah. And also, if you read the rest of the story, they're talking about... Anyway, sorry. Yeah, I mean, Tell the, me about this story. The picture on the story is like a, an embed of a Google map. So there's yeah. a, a lot of laziness But here. even in the embed of the Google map, it's a nice awning. It's not a <laughs> greasy spoon tell. awning. You can tell it's nice. Awnings so the, are such a thing in New York. The story is okay. a guy calls the restaurant, speaks to the hostess, says it's the boss, says it's the owner. The owner, yeah. Says, I'm the owner, Robert Bohr. That's the name of the owner. I'm offering you $1,200 to meet my, quote, nerdy older friend and client. Take off your clothes while the friend pleasures himself. This is according to the lawsuit that yeah. the hostess filed. Of course, it turns out that it was not the boss, the well, owner, Robert Bohr. Not necessarily, of course. It could sure, be a sure. thing it could that have been. an owner This, this could have been done. the story. But the story was, it was actually some creep 
who has been doing it for 38 years, sexually harasses people via the phone all the time. Yeah, unclear from this story alone if it's just via the phone or if he's just never had a successful harassment. You mean he's try he wants he actually wants her to come meet up with him clearly yeah. and just hasn't worked out for him yet. <laughs> yeah, he's, he sucks at it. That's I don't mean it to laugh at it. Listen, that's terrible. No, it's terrible. Right. So then the restaurant owner had to pay it says $90,000 in lawyer and private investigator fees to make sure there was no truth to her allegations, the court document says. Yeah. Whew. Yeah. So she went after the restaurant. She went after the restaurant, and the restaurant had to clear their names. Yeah. And now they're going after the now guy. Now they're going after the guy. What's his name? Steve Ferris? Steve Ferris. Yeah. He pleaded guilty to a violation in 1992. Yeah. They're suing him. Maybe that one was at a greasy spoon. Maybe. <laughs> They're suing him for $140,000. Yeah. This this sucks. Sucks for the woman. Like, being a restaurant host sucks anyway. It's really hard. You're in the front lines with assholes left and right, and then you have to deal with some creep on the phone pretending to be your boss. That's horrifying. Yeah. Just think about that. Next time you go out and you talk to a hostess or host, host. Just think that it's Just think, like, this person has a hard job. I should be overly nice to them. Yeah. I should be overly nice to them anyway, but just think this person has a hard job. Yeah, just, Even if they're being mean to you as a customer, just remember. That it's, it's possible someone has just called them. Someone prank to be called me. them. Amanda, one thing that I've realized I've gotten too used to in my life patterns is being able to control what my friends order when we go to restaurants. Mm-hmm. I get to order and I get to try the things I want and it is implied and not even discussed that everything will be shared. And that's just Is it implied when you go out with your friends that you will just be taking control and ordering every single thing? Typically, sometimes I'll be quiet and then like because I'll be there with people I don't really know and then someone will just be like, "We should just let Dan order." And then I'm like, "No, I don't know." And oh, then really? like, "Okay." You're and like, then I'll give just, it to me. Then yeah. I'll just uh, Yeah, yeah. Okay. You so you're me. that guy. Yep. No, I'm not that guy, but I frankly but yes. I'm just going to do yep. a better job. Uh-huh. Yep. Okay. You know, and I'm accommodating. But totally. but one thing in order to buy in, you have to be willing to share everything. Anyway, so I have gotten very used to being able to control this. Mm-hmm. And when my mom or I'm eating with people that are not part of this world, or I'm, when I'm at a table with them and then there's the there's somebody who's like, you know, I would just like to get this for myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. I it, it, In that moment, I realize how used to this kind of ordering I am and how someone outside of that world can just rock my ordering patterns. So just if they want to get their own thing and exclude themselves from the group order, it, yeah, I don't, it really oh, messes no, no, with don't you? Don't worry about that. I'll just have a burger and uh, and my... You right, know. you do your thing. I'm mm-hmm. just going to get this burger. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Messes me up so bad. So bad. And fills me with rage. And I'm, I'm figuring it out. Usually what I try to do is... Okay, what about when we all went out a couple weeks ago, yeah, and I was feeling really sick, and I was like, "I'm just gonna get this pasta. You do your thing." Yeah, so yeah. Were yeah. you filled with rage? Because no, because then I siloed you out. Yeah, yeah. And then I created my own little bubble of sharing people. Okay. Yeah. So that's fine. If the person's like, "Let me just get this burger," you guys do your thing. But that's because you understood the game already, and you. Yes, you I knew, knew coming f- in. Yeah. I was gonna. Like, I don't feel like eating this stuff. Yeah. I don't feel good. Yeah. Exactly. Let me. It's when people aren't, and it's just, it's not that one is the right way to do it. Mm -hmm. You know, like 
who is to say that trying more things is inherently better? Sure. I had this problem last weekend when I was at Haleo, mm-hmm. which is Jose Andres's tapas place. Yeah. Uh, I was in Disney World. Do you want to sock it for those plugs? Just <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm gonna because I'm gonna keep going on this Haleo I had, thing. I just was the I'm, best restaurant you can find in Walt Disney World. Wow. Yeah. So, Jose Andres, you are doing something right. Mm-hmm. Way to bring the magic. It's so good. I love that. Place. Like legit a good restaurant. Legit a good restaurant. I don't know if you've been to any Haleos. I on the spectrum of Jose Andres restaurants, it's probably in the middle. But when you get down into Florida, Walt mm-hmm. Disney World, this is your this is your best food. Whoa. Legit good. Like you would go outside of Disney World? If I lived in Orlando, I might go. Yeah. Right. But I made the reservation without even thinking, like, oh, this is a tapas place. I'm going with my whole family. People have a lot of different things going on. Mm-hmm. Someone doesn't eat mm-hmm. red meat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Someone hates mushrooms. Someone like there's a lot of a lot of stuff you gotta think about. Some people just don't like the idea of yeah. a ton of tapas. You don't know how many dishes you have to order. This is what it's I'm gonna saying. come in all different sizes. Yeah. Like what if I only like one of the dishes and then I don't, I don't have enough dinner? And I forgot that until I got there and was ready to order. And I'm like, oh, no. It's, and then it stressed me out the whole time. It's very hard. Because then I, I was worried I had overordered because as dishes kept coming, the looks on my family's faces, I was like, is, how much How much did you how, order? Yeah. Like, how many more is coming? But then everybody ate everything. Okay. So it was great. It was oh a my huge God. success. So just like it most just, Disney movies, it was a happy ending? Yeah. It just stressed me out Yeah. during I'm like, oh, is my mom gonna like this? Yeah, no. Listen, we gotta. Is it gonna be like wildly expensive? How much did I order? Mm -hmm. I don't even know. What did people not eat? There, I ordered like one salad too many. Right. I think one of the keys to this is, unless someone has an aggressive allergy to a lot of things, you just have to get things that everyone is going to be able to eat, and then you can, and then it's much easier. Well, an air on the side of some fried stuff. Right. That always wins. Yeah. That makes sense. I mean, the, the more accessible, more recognizable mm-hmm. dishes are going to do Just better. Just make sure you get a couple in there. That makes you know? it hard for me because I am so drawn to get whatever the last. I've made a yeah, career. Yeah, you get the mung bean, but also you get some like some dim sum or some noodles or something that right. can fill people up right, if right, they right, right. hate everything else. But see, here's the difference because because like you were stressed because their mind they were not in a sharing mentality. Mm-hmm. They didn't have a share like whereas you when you were at the restaurant with me and you were ill. You got the game. You were just like, yes. I'm taking myself out of this. Yeah, and then yeah. when I was being like, what four things would you get? Nah, nah, nah. You were like, <laughs> I get it. This is this this is this world that I'm in. And that's fine. Yes. Yeah. I think it is it's a control thing and it's very good for me to cede control in as many aspects of my life as I can. There so you I don't go. become caught in my ways mm-hmm. and drive down the same path that I've been driving down forever. Um so real talk. So it, it's not something that you can truly be upset about, and I don't think it's fair of me to call those to think of those people's people as inadventurous. They're just used to a certain style of dining, which then this becomes rough, like roughhousey. And uh, mm-hmm. some people are unadventurous, though. That's true. They just don't really want to try a bunch of things. Yeah, they want the one thing that they see on the menu that they like, and they want to eat that. Right. So you know, break yourself out of your comfort zone because it's going to really improve your life in other areas. And good to know if you don't want to experiment. You can still eat out with Dan because he's trying to broaden his horizons and change his ways. That's true. This segment has been brought to you by Haleo at Disney World. (laughs) This week, a very interesting collaboration came up in the media, in Mm -hmm. the news, and that is between Miller Lite, the beer. The beer. And La Colombe. Ooh, the the coffee. Independent 
coffee shop. Didn't they sell? Yeah, they sold. Yeah, a long time ago. They're a big. They're a big. Company yeah, yeah. Now. They're not indie. They're not indie. Uh, this is crazy for me because for a bunch of reasons. One, Miller Lite is absolutely everywhere. La Colombe, I felt like was still trying to preserve a little bit of an artisanal, artisanal vibe around their brand. I would say that, except they keep sending us stuff at the office, and it like, it gets weirder. You know, they send yeah. big, large format cold brew and sure. all kinds. They've they've been like really experimenting with different uh, ready to drink products. Yeah, but I haven't so, seen them in a gas station yet. You know, right? But it seemed to be going in that direction. Oh, they'll get I there. I think. Yeah, if they're not there, just already. keep on chugging, Lockalum. Uh so they have a partnership, meaning they with are Miller making Light. a spiked a spiked cold brew coffee. coffee. Yeah. So it's kind called. of like we were talking a lot on the show about Spike Seltzer. Yep. This is a continuation of that trend. Just putting booze in things. Putting booze in everything. Yeah. I was my initial read on this was that how many of these can you have? But like Four Loco was a huge thing. Booze and caffeine. Yeah, don't people drink Red Bull and whatever? Red all Bull the time? vodka yeah. is a strong club drink. It's I don't like know if that. it's killing it anymore. It's I mean, this is not appealing to me, but the, as a beverage? Yeah, the I, I think too many people. The richness of the flavors, people, I think, will work together. Too many people associate coffee with morning drinking, or mm-hmm. after, like or afternoon drinking. If you want caffeine, yeah, you know, when you're drinking alcohol, you're gonna go a different direction. You know, can I tell you that my roommate and I have a Nespresso? Uh huh. My roommate is a big Nespresso fan. Loves okay. Nespresso. Cool. I was always not a Nespresso fan. Uh-huh. Multi, multi reasons, multifaceted distrust of Nespresso. One. How good can the beans be? You know, they come ground up in that little pod, although it's air sealed. Two, Nestle, not a company that I'm that excited about. Three, the elaborate Nespresso machines drive me freaking nuts. Why do we need a huge machine to do the exact same pod extraction? They have one called a Romeo and Juliet where you put the pod on a little balcony and a door opens and the pod (laughs) goes into the machine and then makes your – like it's all doing the same thing. That's funny. Yeah. Anyway, so not a big friend of Nespresso, but, you know, my roommate and I, Sebastian, if we were going out to a party or something, when we first started living together, we'd have a few drinks and he'd be like, I'm going to make an espresso. And at first I was like, that's weird. Coffee is not a party drink, but we've settled into it, you know, and it's now, oh yeah, let's get an espresso. We're on our way out. Let's get an espresso and a, and a shot and huh. it'd be great. So I will say so that- So you are going to put these in your fridge. You are the market for this. Yeah, absolutely. So anyway, just as hard seltzer- is a thing, as we know. Now hard coffee is another thing. And there are a bunch of them. PBR has one. There's one called Bad Larry's Cold Hard Coffee. Yeah, for sure. So it's a growing segment. I'm just not as convinced it's going to be the next oh, hard seltzer. What, you don't think that cold brew? I don't think it appeals to, even though you have the counterexample of you and your roommate doing espresso shots before you go partying. Yeah. I think too many people associate coffee with like getting their shit done during the day. Brew up, turn up. So I saw a tweet online about a, a cautionary tale for restaurants. She has called it at Shin Yi underscore AU. A cautionary tale for restaurants. Google appears to be testing a new reservation system called Reserve with Google. Here's what happened when I met, uh, went to make a reservation at Birds of a Feather in Williamsburg. She made the reservation, then she got a confirmation from Google that said, the assistant will call the restaurant now. Um, she said, what sorcery is this? But hey, a few minutes later, I got an email saying the reservation was confirmed. She shows up at Birds of a Feather mm-hmm. with her whole family. Okay. 
Nothing. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah, nothing. So it just didn't work. Yeah, no sorcery happened. The, yeah. The Google, the e-voice, whatever. That's the, the problem Google with voice. this stuff. I knew you were going to say that, and that's why I wanted in here. Yeah, because you know I love this shit. Yeah, go on. What's the problem? Well, it's just like that other Google button, the Order Now one. Yeah. So they put this thing in. They think they have it all figured out, but they're yeah. not actually working directly with the restaurants. So the restaurants don't know what's going on. <laughs> they just all of a sudden get a voice, a robocall. Yeah. So they're going through these third parties. So order now, they it's this big, if you Google a restaurant, there's an order now button on the Google page. It mm-hmm. actually doesn't go to the restaurant, which might have their own delivery platform or their own preferred way of doing things. <laughs> yeah. It goes to DoorDash or Postmates or these third party players that take up to a 30% cut. Yeah. So that, and then if the restaurant tries to get the order now button taken down, they can't. They send them to DoorDash, and then DoorDash <laughs> sends them back to Google. And it's just like a nightmare. So that actually is a different a different problem, which is taking a cut. Well, taking a cut, too. But <laughs> this is obviously the I attempt is eventually to take a cut. Is the, this is going through that their assistant who just calls Google and assistant. fucks yeah, it up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's not as shady. It's just, ugh. Can you, so there are. Just like put the phone number and someone can call it themselves. Just put the, or give the, them the link phone number. to the restaurant. I will say this is a thing you see often um, on, because now you see reservations all over the place when you Google a restaurant. Yeah. It's like, oh, there's a 7 p.m. You click it and it's like, then you never get an email and it's like, I, you don't have it. It's just basically a button floating, floating in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, like Google, just do your job and send people to the restaurant website, and then the restaurant yeah. can control how they want to deal with their customers. So two things I want to say about this. One, imagine if this actually does kind of work, and the Google Voice just calls the restaurant and and is like, I see you have table for two at 7 p.m. Please book for eight. And the guy's like, I didn't hear you. Uh, call back. <laughs> and it's like, success. Success. Right. Right. Done. Yeah. So that is hilarious to me. Just the idea that, like, please confirm. Uh, what? I got to go. Oh, confirmed. Like, I mean, you know. when they show off this thing at, like, the Apple conferences, yeah. it works seamlessly well. Yeah, But absolutely. I just imagine extending it out to everyday life. This is This is not the way. And, to do things. But here's my, my second point is even if it is a thing that'll work eventually, with all tech, there's so much time spent doing trial and error, so much time where the product doesn't work perfectly and then eventually it works. The problem is here, they're messing with restaurant reservations. <laughs> like it it's well, different if it's, I don't know, your email forwarding or whatever. That's low there, stakes. Yeah, there this, are real humans involved. This woman brought her whole family to Birds of a Feather. Uh, Can I little side note about this woman complaining about Google publicly? Guess where she works? Where? Zagat. So, oh, formerly owned by formerly Google. Formerly owned by Google. Yeah. <laughs> no, but small time. Small time. Small potatoes. Also, so she said she bought her whole family, and then Birds of a Feather happened to have a private PDR, private dining room for her. Oh, her so family. it worked out. It worked out That's for good. her. Okay. So That's fine. It's Cindy. just like we already cut humans out of the equation with reservations. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, take it or leave it. Do we have to somehow bring humans back in by having a robot call a human and make a reservation? <laughs> it's like just we have the open table and resi and whatnot. Isn't that enough? Right, right. Yeah, we is don't. Is this really a problem we need solved by Google? <laughs> Do you think it's meant to be a, a thing that they're solving or meant to be just like a way of showing off their assistant being? I think just it's a way for worker? them to insert themselves into every single <laughs> aspect of our lives. You like that, right? When when people just get involved with Love, processes that yeah. they just don't really shouldn't really have. <laughs> yes, please, let's get Google into this (laughs) there's something very funny about bots screwing up (laughs) (laughs) yes the freaking google assistant like uh, imagine her telling her like grandma or whatever her whole family like i hit the button i don't know why we don't have the space 
I hit the button on Google Assistant. They must have not. The robot called the, robot the restaurant. Called the robot. She's like, Grandma, the robot called the restaurant. <laughs> the grandma's like, what are you talking what? about? Why? How, here's how you get a reservation. You call a restaurant personally. They pencil you in. And uh, and then when you show up. I'm sure up, even they... grandma has used open table at this point. <laughs> Daniel, there is a restaurant in the Baltimore area that is catching some slack on the internet because they have a dress code that is, I think we can just say objectively racist. Is that is that fair or is that unfair? It's definitely highlighting some articles of clothing that you would associate with a certain demographic. It is, they strictly prohibited Excessive, Give me the list. Excessive baggy clothing, offensive vulgar or inappropriate attire, athletic attire, jerseys, brimless headgear, mm-hmm. bandanas, beanies, etc. cetera, uh, backwards or sideways hats, work and construction boots, sunglasses after dark. Uh, here's here's the other interesting thing. Listens to a Kanye song <clears throat> once and yeah. like, I don't want this happening here. Uh bottom footnote, management may enforce these policies within its discretion, meaning if your white friend gets in wearing these things, mm-hmm. it's at our discretion. It's fine. These types of dress codes have been used by clubs and nightlife operations for so long in yeah. so many different cities yeah. as a way to keep out uh, a certain clientele. Right. And it's it's very obvious to people who watch the space that this is what they are doing, even though they say, oh, it's not. We're just this is just trying to mm-hmm. keep things a certain way. So you've seen this happen before. Are, oh, yeah. Nightclubs in Atlanta. It happens to sports stars a lot. Uh, there was a big uh, controversy here with a bar called Continental. Mm-hmm. And I think that that little footnote at the end saying, oh, we can we can enforce this at our will is really the special kicker. Hmm. That's where people see like, oh, well, you let in this person, but not this person. They're Mm -hmm. both wearing, quote unquote, brimless hats. Yeah. So what's the difference here? I also think that this is silly because uh, I think we've talked about this before. Fashion is just fashion is so fluid now. Yeah. You know, you can wear a sideways hat with a a suit and that would be strange. But uh, (laughs) (laughs) listen, I'd let you in. Yeah, sure. (laughs) Um, yeah, I think the the dress code idea in general is a little ridiculous in this day and age. Have you noticed it at all? Like when you go for when for some reason you end up at one of New York's pri- uh, premium power launch institutions for a power an Amanda Clute power launch. Sure, you know. sure, sure. And they make me wear a, a coat. As if that <laughs> no yeah, that, women, women never have to deal with anything. Yeah, I get it easy. But. I've been I've been to a place where my husband has had to borrow a coat. Yeah, and you're like what? <laughs> I remember it was a big deal back when I was writing for Eater New York when um, I think it was Le Bernardin stopped requiring ties. And it was this huge turning point because I think they were like the last restaurant to require ties. The last holdout on the yeah. tie. Wow. Yeah. There's still a lot of places that require a jacket, but I don't I don't know of a place where you have to wear a tie anymore. I will say I was so anti-dress code until I heard Eric Repair talk about it. And he's like... You know, people are there for a very special night, and they just want the whole environment to be magic. And I was like, I get it, I get it. Well, and they'll lend you a coat. And all these places always have some coats, so it's not like you—they're going to kick you out. Mm -hmm. It's just like, well, everybody wears a coat in here. I was at a at a club. I can't remember why I was there because I'm not a club person. Sure, you know, Mm -hmm. I can't remember why (laughs) I was there, but I happened to be at a nightclub, and I remember I was with someone who was a friend who was wearing, you know, very uh, kind of a friend wearing. Wait, like really sick clothes, really sick clothes. I said that twice. 
Say, <laughs> say it again. What was he wearing? Sick clothes. Sick clothes. He just looked like he knew what he was doing in the fashion department. Uh-huh. You know, he is the kind of person who, if if I own a nightclub, I'd be like, I want that guy in my club because he looks like he has a lot of Instagram followers or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he did not get in. He was told that he had to change his sneakers or else he wasn't getting in. Meanwhile, the guy in front of us looked like kind of like a schlubby accountant dude with like mm-hmm. a really baggy, horrible looking, terribly tailored suit. Mm-hmm. Looked like he'd slept in it. Just did not look good at all with, you know, loafy shoes. Sure, we get it. Anyway, he got it. <laughs> and just to watch that dude get into the club. Right. You know, and my friend was denied. Uh, you know, They knew who I was from the podcast, so they let us in eventually. <laughs> <laughs> JK, JK, but um, it's it's you know fashion is fashion is crazy. If you get if you take away one thing from this food podcast, it's that boy fashion is crazy. Yeah, you and know? don't mess with dress codes. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Eaters Digest. If you have thoughts on food at the movies, please send us an email. Or if you just have general thoughts or want us to tackle any topic. Send us an email, digest at eater.com. If you want to go to a movie with me, but not sit anywhere near me, just in the theater at if the same time. If you want to share a jar of pickles with Daniel Janine in front of an action flick, please email us. <laughs> email Dan, Dan Eater. Uh, if you like the show, also, please tell a friend. Just one friend. Special thanks to Jennifer Douglas, Jonathan Koontz, and Jessica Giesenkirchen. Again, please check out our survey at voxmedia.com slash podsurvey or find it in the show notes. Of course, as always, thank you to Martha Daniel, our yeah. wonderful producer, who makes the show what it is. And to my co-host, Daniel Janine. Mm-hmm. And to my co-host, Amanda Clute. Yes. All right, mom. see you next week.